Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 561 with Chef Philip Spear. Sure. You know, I, I started where I thought I could start, and it was really just anywhere. Now I know that I could have probably back, you know, knocked on the back of any door. Um, you know that story. If you go to the back door of a kitchen and you knock on it enough, someone will take you in. Um, I truly believe that. If you can do that and you can work hard and just thirst for the knowledge every single day, you'll, you'll get the knowledge. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. Cashflow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Philip Spear. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> yes, that's what we like to hear. So hailing from Austin, Texas, Chef Philip Spear fell in love with cooking sweets at a young age. His professional career would be Build momentum at John Luke's Bistro in John George's, say his last name for me. <laughs> Von Richten. Thank you. At Bank in 2005, Spear took the role of pastry chef at Uchi in Austin, which is when his career really started to accelerate. Spear would climb the ladder to serve as culinary director for Uchi Restaurant Group, and it was here where he earned four nominations for James Beard Outstanding Pastry Chef before moving on from Uchi in 2015. Since Spear has opened Bonami, my name is Joe Coffee Co., and his most current project will be opening in the winter of 2019. So, man, you've got some incredible experience. I cannot wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today and what you've learned along the way. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, if you don't have the time to do it right, when will you have the time to do it again? Nice. I love it. <laughs> who's that from? That's John Wooden, who's actually uh, one of my favorite leaders, uh, one of my favorite writers on leadership. Uh, he's a He's an old basketball coach. Um, got all his uh, fame at UCLA uh, for a lot, a lot of years. And he writes amazing books on leadership um, from a coach's perspective, but how that translates into day-to-day life. And uh, I recommend any the, – the, the first person to give me his, his book was Sean Serkiel, which is a chef I worked for for a long time. And 
Yeah, that is a that's a great. It's, it's not the first time I've heard that quote. I love that quote, and the reason why why I love that quote so much is it's not only time in the restaurant industry; it's resources, capital, uh, relationships. Like if you don't do it right the first time, like those re- those relationships dissolve. The your 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 investors capital starts to dissolve the, the like it's not just time it's all these resources so Absolutely. we really got to knock it out of the park and do it right the first time because it's a ruthless industry man <laughs> it is and, it, and it's not only about doing it right the first time it's 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 taking the time to go through the movements and the in the right way yes. you know and and if you're if you're rushing if you're if you're you know, creating haste. If you're, if you're just trying to get something out to get it out and it's not correct because you don't think you have the time, you really don't have the time to do it again. Yeah. Awesome. Great way to get this thing started. So let's bring it to where it all started for you. When did you know you're going to commit your life to this industry? Um, at a pretty young age. Um, you know, I, I I do have a romantic story about the industry, (laughs) but I also, you know, that bleeds into the, the, the reality story. Um, they're both true. Um, I think the reality of it is this is, you know, I, I don't have the traditional education and this is something that I've kind of devoted my, my life to, to learn how to do. Um, so it's really all I know how to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as a, as a younger, you know, as an adolescent, as, as someone in my early teens, I knew that I wanted to be a chef, specifically a pastry chef. Um, and, you know, I, I took the steps needed to go through, go into the apprenticeships and learn and learn how to do it at an early age. And what's I started that, working. What's that look like that, that apprenticeship a- approach? Uh, because a lot of people tend to go the more traditional route. I honestly tend to come from the, the school of thought of going the apprentice route because mm-hmm. you don't make enough money to pay back your school loans in this industry. And you need to be able to, to get that experience and get around and, and experience mm-hmm. new things and, and live. But what do you, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to take that approach? Well, beyond, beyond that, I mean, it's a craft and I think all crafts are hands-on. I mean, from, from woodworking to welding, uh, being a chef, and you know anything, and in, in, in it's, it's it's a vocation, it's a craft, it's something that you do and you need to learn, and you learn by repetition. Mm. Um, there are so many things you can learn in culinary school, and, 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 and you know I'm not shitting on culinary schools. Um, however, it's it's different today, and you know, and when when I was coming up, and I hate saying that because I, I don't think I'm that old, but when <laughs> I when I was a ye, we <laughs> a weed, uh, I. Uh, you needed a f- two years of culinary experience to even get into a culinary school. Yeah. You know, it, it's so important to get those, those movements and repetitions. Um, and then once you go into the culinary school, you can apply the knowledge you're learning into real practical situations. But it's not like that anymore. More, it's, it's more, as most things today, it's more of a, a money-making um, institution than anything. You're saying um, culinary school is more of a money-making institution. I believe so. I, um, I would agree with that statement. With the exception of some. Yep. You know, there are still a couple prestigious, um, really well-run culinary Even schools. Even those but. schools still need to pay the bills, right? right? So at the end of the day, they're a business. You've got to keep that in mind. Um, anyway, moving on, back to the original question. Uh, if somebody wanted to go to the approach that you took to apprentice, mm-hmm. um, is there anything you wish you knew now about that path that you would tell your past self or somebody who's listening to this who's taking that route? Um. Sure. You know, I, I started where I thought I could start and it was really just anywhere. Now I know that I could have probably back, you know, knocked on the back of any door. Um, you know that story. If you go to the back door of the kitchen, you knock on it enough, someone will take you in. Um, I truly believe that. Um, if you can do that and you can work hard and just thirst for the knowledge every single day, you'll, you'll get the knowledge. What's that thirst for knowledge look like? What should it look like? It should... 
I mean, it should, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. It should look like you're walking in the door. You're ready when you get there. You're, you know, you're, you're dressed for, for the job. You're, you're mentally prepared for the job and you have, you know, no problems putting in the time needed to do the job. Mm, Awesome. Um, so you take this approach, uh, apprenticeships, any mentors, anybody who really, really influenced you early on in your career that kind of helped you on the path you're on today? Um, um, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, I still have mentors. I still have people who are influencing me in my career 20 plus years later. Um, the minute you stop looking for mentors is the minute you die, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're always learning and, you know, a mentorship can look like a a boss. It can also look like a peer or someone who's working, who's who you've hired that you can learn from. But on the traditional sense of, of that word, there are many chefs that I worked with over the years who showed me so much. Um, Jean-Luc, uh, Sal's is one of them. Um, I, you mentioned earlier I worked in a Jean-Luc's Bistro. Uh, he was one of the first rest- chefs I ever worked for uh, when I was like 18 years old. And coincidentally, five years later, I worked with another chef, Sean Circule, who is another great mentor of mine, um, to take over Jean-Luc's restaurant. It was a, a weird serendipitous but sort of ironic thing all at one time. Um, and... Um, you know, over the years, I worked with chefs like Ashton Hall and Brian Caswell and and Josh Hines. I mean, all these guys showed me really important things throughout my career. Um, but, you know, my strongest mentorship and relationship was definitely with Tyson Cole. Tyson Cole. Yeah. Look, I feel like we need to give a – I want to get to Tyson Cole, but let's try to stay chronological. Reflecting back at these early mentors, any key lessons on how they taught you to be? Not necessarily your skills in the kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, but business knowledge maybe or just – core values, a way to conduct yourself that you picked up from these guys. Absolutely. And the first person to do that was Sean, Sean Circule, who's still a chef and restaurant owner in Austin. Um, he, and we're still very good friends. He, he really showed me um, through his own actions um, how to stop thinking about this as a job and as a passion, a way of life. So what's career. the difference? Paint that picture of what one picture looks like and what the other picture looks like and how we should change the way we live to, to do it the right way. Oh man! Um, I pull back the layers, man. This is what I do. I go deep. <laughs> well, you know, a job, a, a job. You go to the job every day, and you go home. Mm-hmm. You know, a career, a passion, a, a, something that gives you drive and and, and love to what you do is something that you never really turn off. You're always looking for inspiration and thinking about what you can do to not only be better but to bring more joy to yourself doing it. So he taught you how to do this, but what did you have to flitch it? switch in your mind what was the the perspective the different perspective you had to take to get to that mindset it was just time i mean it was just being in there and like i mean how i started it off uh the statement was he showed me an action and from showed you an action yes from so from watching his actions i learned how he looked at it differently from conversations from really just learning and, and you know like i said that thirst for knowledge like really learning his perspective on food and restaurants changed the way i looked at it and his delivery in that got me excited in a different way. And so, it was, so paint that picture for us of what his philosophy was. I mean, it was everything from looking at cookbooks every day to, to staying current. You know, this, granted, this was in 2000, 1999, 2000. So, you know, the, the, the websites weren't up, the, the, the social media wasn't up. So you had to dig for the knowledge, um, which is funny to say because that's 2000. And you I mean, imagine even 20 years previous to that, yeah. right? But, you had to dig and dig for the knowledge. You had to look at the books. You had to go buy the books and, and chase them down. And, um, you know, there weren't the same 
TV shows or went to the same podcast yeah. or went to the same, you know, I couldn't open up, you know, Alex Dupac's Instagram and see what he was doing. I, I couldn't email, you know, I couldn't reach out to Sam Mason on, on Twitter and say, Hey, I really enjoy what you do. Can you share some of that knowledge? Um, we were looking at, looking at books and talking about, you know, what restaurants he had been at and how I should get out and see these restaurants and how I need to go eat more. And, and you know, I learned that, you know, one of the most important things you can do as a chef is actually not stand in your kitchen all day, but go out and see the world and see other mm-hmm. restaurants and eat other food and talk to other chefs. And I th- again, I think, you know, people get away from that and it turns into, I need to go into the kitchen every day for 16, 18 hours to really be a great chef. No, you need to go and see everything you can and see. Bro, it's, it, right. that's, that's your job. I feel like as an executive anywhere or an executive chef is to experience the world and take that influence and to express it through your business and to constantly be growing, constantly be evolving and, and being the person that takes the business to the next level. But you have to experience other things in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, th- the big thing I think I'm pulling from you is just that something that comes up often in the show is just being intentional, living intentionally and living intentionally to craft the, the life that you want. So you're not a victim of the business, but like the business is a result of you, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, uh, I think that's. I don't know if I said that well. No, I think that's. <laughs> I was about to say. I think that's a great way to to put it because I feel like that happens a lot. And I, you know, through my story, um, I never want to scapegoat the industry. You know, and I think that happens a lot. I think a, a, a lot of people blame the industry and the life, the 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 typical lifestyle of the industry for their their problems and issues. When you know you're making your own decisions, right? And I still have a love and passion for the industry. And a lot of people ask me like, since since your rise and fall in this industry, which I'm sure we'll get into yeah. in a few minutes, you know, how do you go back? How do you still love it? And it's because I, the passion and love for, for that never changed. You know, I don't, I don't scapegoat the industry. I don't, I don't want to blame the restaurant industry for the really shitty decisions I made in my mm-hmm. life. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but any other key lessons or perspectives these early uh, mentors had before moving on to your opportunity with Uchi, why you took that opportunity and what it was like being, this is your first executive chef role with Uchi, right? Or Well, no, I mean, I went in as a pastry chef. I went in as a pastry chef, yeah. correct. And, and eventually that led to an executive pastry chef role over multiple units. Gotcha. But, um, but, um, you know, it's so much of it is hard to put into words because it is through watching it's through action it's through you know looking at how brian caswell would walk in the kitchen at bang jean george and what he looked like what his chef coat looked like how he shaved every day how how he carried himself how he treated his people you know those things you see those things and you take them in and it gives you a a different perspective um you know i had the opportunity to go open bang jean george in houston and i had just had a child a couple years previous. So, you know, it was always in my mind, okay, eventually I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work in those kitchens and really, really learn what I need to learn. Well, this was an opportunity to go not too far from Austin to work in a New York style kitchen um, because it was a, a Jean George kitchen and Jean George is, is, you know, currently based gotcha. pretty much based in New York. Um, although he has restaurants all over the world. Um, and I knew that there'd be people you know his his culinary team, his corporate team, and his and the chefs of those places would be people who'd work work through those restaurants. So I could go and I could get that knowledge from them without leaving my family and going and trying to work in New York as yeah. a, with a young family. So that's what I did. Um, so you wanted that New York level knowledge in Austin, and you did that by working with 
mm-hmm. the restaurants that had or the people that had restaurants in New York. Correct. So, you know, and at that time, you know, if you were asking me today, I don't think that that knowledge only exists in New York, by yeah, the way. Yeah, okay. I was, I was, <laughs> but at the time, but at the time, yeah, you know, well, in 2001, you know, that that's where you looked. That's what we knew. And and But there is some truth to that, too. And I think that in, the more we go into the future, the the more true that statement is that, is that you don't have to go to New York to find those people. But 20 years ago, absolutely. 30 right. years ago, absolutely. Because that's where the competitive markets were. Right. So to be the best, you had a, in a competitive, you have to be even more competitive in a market like that. And then you take that level of competitive edge or knowledge and you bring it to a, a smaller market like Austin 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be strides ahead of everybody else. Absolutely. So yeah, that, that mindset is perfect. Mm-hmm. So what was that knowledge that you were in your mind thinking about? You said, I wanted that knowledge. Was it just that level of thinking? It was or? the level. It was okay. the, it was the pedigree. It was, it was the, you know, the training that people had gotten from chefs that I had read or heard about that I wouldn't, wasn't realistically probably going to ever go have that connection with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was knowing that I can learn from anyone and if these people even kind of shared that perspective that they would have have you know experiences that i could learn from and i did what were the biggest things you learned as far as business go that you learned from these people that you wouldn't have gotten if you stayed with maybe a more local mentor you know on the business side um i think such an important part of what we do is how you treat your people Mm. and that relates absolutely relates to dollars. Um, you know, I, I had, had learned a good, I'd had a good base of, of how the business works, how food costs works, how, how labor n- numbers work. I'd always had a good sense of how the business works. But when I, when I got to some of these other kitchens, I learned how treating your people and how training your people to do the right job really translates to good business and a successfully run kitchen. How did you see that? Give me an example of how that reflected in these businesses. I'm a, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I mean, it's just so hard to put into words because it was because it's not. It's like you know we're talking about checking boxes earlier. Like it's not. It's not that simple. It's not. It's the way they made you feel. It's. It's just. It's the respect. It's the respect for the ingredients. It's the respect for your 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 fellow cook, your employee, your peer. It's the respect for the chefs. I you know I had. I had gotten a taste of it um, at Jean-Luc Pichot with Sean, um, and then I got even more of a taste of it at Bang Jean Georges with with the chefs there because they, you know, I it wasn't until I walked in that kitchen where I understood how and why you called other chefs chefs, right? I didn't understand the the until that time I didn't understand doing things right the first time. Yeah, you know, not rushing through. Um, so what do you, what do you do to make sure this might be a good nugget? What do you do to make sure that it gets done right the first time? What things do you leverage? What, what habits do you, have you formed? I mean, the, the, the most important habit for all of that is to work organizing clean. Um, and I, I, I feel grateful as a pastry chef to really have learned how to, how to do that. But it's, you know, it's, it's going through the movements mentally before you do them physically, um, it's, it's looking at a well put together recipe and always using, a, that's another thing I definitely learned at Paint Jean George is that the recipe books they had were, were amazing. Um, what made them amazing? The, the, the detail, um, you know, using grams <laughs> instead yeah. of, you know, it's just, it's, it's these, these things that I had not seen yet, you know, working in the kitchens in Austin and it's, it was the, the methods were clear and concise and the ingredients, um, were, 
you know, new and interesting and there were, there were explanations about how and why they worked. Um, and then there were also other people that I could learn from who had done those things before. So it was really a lot of it's just mentally going through the movements before physically doing them. Mm. Awesome. Any other nuggets you want to drop on us? I'm loving this, by the way, before you move on to, you said Tyson Cole was the biggest influence for you. Uh, Tyson Cole did become the, the biggest uh, professional and honestly pr- personal influence in my life. Um, so let's talk about how you got this opportunity to become the pastry chef. How did that relationship <laughs> form? It's kind of a funny story. Um, I was at a restaurant at that time called Starlight, which is a popular restaurant here in Austin. I had been there for almost two years as their pastry chef. And, you know, I'd had discussions with the chef and owner that probably the time was coming soon where um, Starlight's no longer in existence. And the time was coming soon where a pastry chef probably wasn't going to be um, a priority for their for their staff, yeah. which is understood. I've known that uh, my whole career that pastry chef is kind of a, a luxury of an icing on the cake, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had Tyson Cole had just won best chef, um, best new chef in food and wine magazine. And the restaurant itself, Uchi was getting a ton of acclaim. I had eaten there a couple times and was blown away and mystified about, <laughs> I, I mean, we had never, Austin had, had never had anything like that. And this is 2005, 2004? 2004. Around that 2004. time. 2004. Okay. Um, Austin had never seen anything like that. You had never, I'd never been into a restaurant where I could eat sashimi and seared foie gras and listen to Nas play over <laughs> the speakers and see, you know. So let, let's dissect that uh, <laughs> a little bit because I think there's this kind of uh, movement in the past 10 years of just like, unwavering authenticity of this is the, what I like to cook and like mm-hmm. this music is what I like to listen to mm-hmm. and like that level of, of not making food pretentious, right? Absolutely. Uh, is that something that you think that he recognized? Yeah, I mean, Uchi very much in the beginning and, and still to this, very much in the beginning was um, this is my interpretation of what sushi in Central Texas, I would say can be, but will be. Okay. Um. Because it, that is what it is now. So and what that's that, what everyone else does. So why did that appeal to you? It appealed to me. It was a little punk rock. And so were the guys. <laughs> you know, you walked in and you, you saw these sushi chefs. And again, I was mystified. I hadn't, Austin didn't have, hadn't had that. There were a couple sushi places in Austin. And, and, and um, some of, one of them was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was, this was new. Um, this was a new feeling, a new energy uh, a new group of people. It was, it was younger. It was faster pace. It was exciting. It was high energy. It was again seared foie gras, uh, you know, amberjack sashimi and Nas. <laughs> you know, and that's and it was so. It was like I remember right now. You know, twenty three years. You know, twenty not sorry not fifteen years later what it felt like to eat my first meal there. Mm. And I was and I was blown away. And so I had met Tyson at a couple events. Um, and I asked my chef at Starlight at the time, Josh, Josh Hines, who is still currently a chef in Austin with a, at a great restaurant with a great group. Um, what's the, what's that restaurant? So it's on my radar. Um, Clark's. Gotcha. Cool. Keep going. Yes. Um, I said, Hey, do you have Tyson Cole's number? I want to text him okay. or I want to call him. We didn't text back then. I want to call him. He's yeah. like, yeah, sure. So he gave me his cell phone number. So I called Tyson on his cell phone and said, Hey, this is Philip Spear. 
Um, I hear that you're... Oh, sorry. I had heard that Uchi was going to look for a pastry chef. Okay. They had never had a pastry chef. Okay. They'd been open uh, two and a half years. Gotcha. They'd never had a pastry chef. And I you know, I had heard through the, grape, through the industry grapevine that um, in order to jo- go to the next level, Uchi wanted to employ a pastry chef, and which I think was they were, they were correct. Mm-hmm. That's what was going to take them to the next level. Um, so I called. And you know, I was a little hot on my own shit back then. Um, I'd already had some good local recognition and been part of some good restaurants and had just gotten back from Houston where I did the Jean George thing mm-hmm. and was at, at Starlight and we were doing well, um, critically. Um, and I called him and said, Hey, this is Philip. Uh, I want to come be your pastry chef. I'm here. You're looking for a pastry chef. And I assumed he would be excited that i called and been like yeah i've been waiting for you to call me to be my pastry chef (laughs) and he was incredibly awkward by the phone call um which under now that i know him better i understand why it felt so awkward um incredibly awkward by the phone call and it's like "Uh, okay yeah come try out with everyone else so why was that awkward now now that you know him what do you think what, what made this awkward for him because it was a pretty, it was honestly a pretty aggressive move, move. <laughs> yeah. and I didn't think of it as an aggressive move, but it was. I mean, this guy had, you know, he owned this restaurant that was killing it, and he, you know, Tyson Cole still works six days to this week, but he's spending six, seven days in the restaurant, and I call him on his cell phone, and and I'm like, hey, I'm your guy, and he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. my guy for what? Like, how do you even know we're looking for a pastry chef? So. So I went and I tried out, um, and I did a tasting. Um, I knew some of the guys in the kitchen. I did a tasting, um, had worked. I, I passed the tasting. Apparently, I, I, I did very, very well on the tasting. And um, there was some discussions about whether or not I worked for them. And this is kind of where my – what is now my past sort of started rearing its head. Uh, they, they called me in and sat me down and said, you know, you killed the tasting – we absolutely want you for this job, but um, we know of your reputation uh, as a partier, and we we don't we can't have that here. Okay. And so I was told I was put on a probationary probationary period where I was making pennies. <laughs> I was making such little money uh, for um, for thirty days, and was told, you know, if 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 I if basically if I if I was drinking that I was not going to be able to work there. Um, so cool. Okay. I really really wanted the job. And I worked my thirty days and I didn't drink, um, and it wasn't an issue. And I worked, you know. So I want to dissect that a little bit because first I want to point out the audacity that sometimes it takes to get to create opportunities for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're like just thinking, oh, there's an opportunity. Like, give me his number. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to call him. I'm going to make this happen. And I love that, that, you know, things don't just fall on your lap in this industry. I mean, you create opportunities by busting your ass mm-hmm. and opportunities will present themselves to you. But you can also bust down doors and make opportunities happen Absolutely. in in conjunction with also busting busting your ass creating a reputation for yourself uh knowing that you're good at what you do and then going to make things happen so i want to applaud that um also i kind of i guess a side note is that your reputation does precede you and if you do other things in life like you got to be mindful of that too and like how that can hinder you so for in this example like you were able to overcome that challenge uh and you you did well um I think we'll get more into uh, that kind of demon mm-hmm. later on. But mm-hmm. what was it? What were the big lessons that you 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 
picked up from Tyson Cole. Like, what did you learn working from this restaurant group? Because you said you grew the most. So who were you? Absolutely. You I, mean, there? I feel like I grew the most in the first year I was there. Um, but then continued <laughs> to grow. Um, you know, I, I was, I walked in, I remember walking in that kitchen the first time and just being so, and I, and I was not a person who was easily intimidated um, and being so intimidated by the, the people around me and, and what I perceived as this talent and this skill it was something that I'd never seen before. And it was, it was talent and skill of something I'd never seen before. Um, and the passion and drive. And I remember working and meeting some of those first people like Vu and Masa who were the, you know, Vu was the head sushi chef and Masa was, had opened Uchi with Tyson and, and Paul Key. And, you know, at the time Deegan McClung was the CDC there. And, um, working with these guys and just being so intimidated but excited at the same time to be to be working side by side with everyone and and then and then of course Tyson himself who was such a at the time a enigma like I I didn't know I didn't get him I didn't understand him and I was pretty scared of him um why were you scared of him because he was he had this aura of him that he just he that he knew intensity, what right? yeah this intensity and that he knew what he wanted and he had absolutely no problems coming and telling you that he didn't like what you were doing, um, which is great learning experience for me. But it, it, I'd never been around that before. I'd never had someone who who would be so direct like I I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Like oh. did, 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 how would would he, do, would he do it in a way that was more constructive than? unfortunately no okay. <laughs> um not at first we got past that but yeah. it was a it was a really a point of uh frustration for me a lot in the beginning is you know and i would you know he knows this you know i would say this to him right now i was like i couldn't get him to 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 describe why he didn't like something okay um and it was hard so you didn't um, have a something to aim for so like this isn't right but what is it that you want so right. i can make it right right okay it would be things like i want it less pastry chefy okay <laughs> okay whatever the fuck that means you know all you can do is continue to pull the trigger and then make your you know your adjustments based off the data you've gotten i i don't like yellow yeah. um Good no no uh, yeah um add it to the list yeah i'm like okay you, what do you, you a whole color like i can't use anything that's yellow um i don't like whipped cream okay so so I can't use whipped cream. Let's, okay. let's talk about the good things that we, that we got from Tyson Cole, like the, the way that he positively. Well, no, but it was it was it ended up being such a good thing because, um, you know, the the cooks we all formed, like we all wanted to help each other. We all yeah. wanted to be better. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, can't do this. We can't do that. Like it made us think so far outside of the box mm. about what we could do, and it was it, it became kind of fun and exciting because then then it turned into like okay so i took the initiative I'm like i'm gonna make a no list and i'm gonna hang this list on the wall and it's gonna be no yeah. xyz except yeah. it was actually a lot more than xyz um and then we would look at that and be like okay cool let's let's think outside of how this does this pass be. the test right <laughs> like how can my dessert be less dessert okay i'd never been told that before in my life um so it changed the way I looked at food. Okay. So it changed the way you look at food, but how did you grow as a professional as far as your level of professionalism? Like, was that a transformation at all? Um, For sure, because it had a lot to do with the way that I respond to that. Um, you know, I would be very frustrated, but responding in frustration isn't, isn't productive. So I learned how to take the criticism mm-hmm. and turn it into something more constructive. Is there like a process or like a, a mental 
breakdown of how you do that that you can share with us? There's a mental breakdown every day. Okay, we'll take us through that real quick. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying I have a mental <laughs> breakdown every day. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, break down, like, okay, like, I'm getting criticized right now. I could react negatively, or I can, you know, su- suppress that mm-hmm. and take this constructive criticism to, to do... To, to make it better. And it, yeah. wasn't, and always, it wasn't always like, I'm going to suppress this and turn this negative energy into positive energy. It wasn't like that. It was like, okay, I can't say shit. Um, <laughs> how do I take these words that I've been told and make it better and it, it, it turned into a challenge mm-hmm. for me and then me and then paul and i would like you know we would work paul together Key? yeah okay and we would work together um to come up with dishes that m- would suit this imaginary box that we had to live in um so it was taking you know taking the points and arranging rearranging them into a way that made sense in my brain to where i could it could output something okay. else, right? So you, you mentioned earlier, like Tyson Cole was this huge influence on you professionally. He taught you a lot of how to think outside the box. So he influenced your ability in the kitchen or your perspective in the kitchen. But how how did he transform you as far as your how to run a successful restaurant group? How did that, any ways he transformed you in that regard? Um. So... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of ways that he transformed me. The whole entire experience of of Uchi um, transformed the way I looked at business. And it wasn't. I I can't really. There. I mean, I'm sure there's some things I could pinpoint and say, "Hey, this you know this this happened," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I have to look at it that way now." But um, one thing that was so monumental. Um, a couple things that were really monumental in the way that I, I started looking at things. One, when we started working on the cookbook. And two, when we opened Uchiko. Okay. So doing those two things really exposed a lot of uh, weak links in the organization. Okay. Which I was able to look at and improve upon, which is why I eventually grew in the company because I was able to do those things. Um, You know, we brought in a director of operations and he saw that I was finding these weak links and making them stronger. What were the weak links you were finding? How did, or a how did lot of it was expose these things. A lot of it was organization, um, consistencies, communication. Um, you know, this is done this way every day, except for. Can you get granular and give me specific things that you identified and how you changed those things and the influence, the impact it had on the operation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it was a it was a creative place. It was a place where we'd go in and we would change the menu every single day. Mm-hmm. I remember when I wrote the, okay, okay. <laughs> when we wrote the cookbook, and when I say I, because I wrote, I actually wrote the physical data of the yeah. cookbook. Um, and when I say it that way, I mean, uh, like, you know, we walked in with our recipes. We're like, okay, this is our this is our list, you know, of three hundred items that we're going to start with, and we're going to start whittling them away and putting them in the cookbook. And once we did that, Paul, and it was Paul Tyson and I, um, we had the list of you know sixty items that were going in the book, and I said, okay. Tomorrow, everyone bring in their recipes. We're going to start recipe testing because I have to test the entire we sorry have to test the entire catalog before we can really record it and then get it to the person who helped us write the book, who is Jessica Dupuy. Um, and this is a perfect example. Tyson showed up with no recipes. Paul showed up with a Nordstrom back Nordstrom bag full of Post-it notes and napkins, literally. 
like and like crumpled up papers. Like I, I wish I could. This is radio, right, or podcast, uh, yeah. so I can't show you, you a picture the of mental picture, this. Though, yeah, but it was literally a department store bag full of bevnaps, <laughs> post-it notes, and pieces of paper that had been in his pocket for two weeks. Okay, and then I showed up with a binder. <laughs> right, I was like, okay, so this is this is how this is going to go, and we, and sometimes I say I. <laughs> went and painstakingly rewrote all of those or created all of those recipes before we could hand them over to our copy editor. Okay. Um, that was a giant, ex- you know, that Example was Example like, of the level of uh, order that was Right, because it was, a, it was a creative place. We walked in. We made new shit every day. There was, you know, that first 30 days I worked that I was telling you about, I made a new dessert every day for 30 days. So and you- Tyson said, he came to me and said, I want a new dessert every day for 30 days. Do you know how fucking hard that I can't is? I can't even wrap my mind around Especially that. when he's like, no, no cake, no yellow, <laughs> no yeah. whipped cream. Oh, no, man. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, and, and that's how, what kind of place it was. It was a place of creativity, and it wasn't a place of recording that creativity. So, th- so you use the story to expose the fact that there wasn't a good level of record keeping. Right. Um, and you, once identifying this, what did you do to take it to that next level to add that structure and how did that impact the Uchi, the mm-hmm. Uchi restaurant group? Well, that was just, that's just one example. And, you know, from there we started. I'm going to get another example, but I want to find <laughs> yeah. out how this. Uh, from there we system. started, we started recording recipes in a, in, in a way that we were all on the same page and we all did it the same way and we all followed the grams and we all followed the method and we all used the same font and we created a database and the computer because we just had computers we didn't have laptops mm-hmm. right and we created a database and computer and every day we would write those down and we were still changing the menu daily you know it wasn't a new dessert every day anymore or a new foie dish every day anymore it would be every couple days um but then we put order to that and said hey let's change these every week because if we change them every day there's no consistency we end up with leftover product etc 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 let's create a system where we input the recipe before a customer or a guest even gets the dish, right? Let's do a tasting where we're all tasting it and approving so that Tyson or Paul or myself can't go up to the dish being made and be like, mm, I don't like it that way today, even though it was exactly the same as yesterday. Okay. Right? And then so those things that the creative mind does, you know, the, the, the constant flow of creativity where you may like something one day and not the next, those things get put in line a little bit and it's a it was an epiphany it was a it was a long moment but it was an epiphany moment in my career where i was like you can't create good food without a system of consistency it's great to come in here every day and get uber and hyper creative and people who walk in the door there are expecting that but there's a lot of misses and those misses um you know, we, I, I, I would see them and I would say, let's, if we can create some order and consistency, this, those misses won't, there, there won't be as many of them because 10 people have tasted it. There's a recipe written. Yeah. We know that we can get that same product so every day. You created a process that had to happen every dish to make sure that it was meeting a level of excellence that was consistent with what you've done in the past uh, so that things couldn't get through the cracks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really curious, in, in an operation that was kind of known for doing new things every day, how inconsistency isn't necessarily it's consistent to what it was yesterday because it might be completely different because it's a new thing. How does documenting um, and creating consistencies impact 
an operation that's constantly changing, I guess, is my... Does, does that make sense? Because, like, I, I mean, mean if you have, like, specials mm-hmm. that you run for, like, a few months, mm-hmm. a seasonal dish, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that needs to stay consistent for the, the few months it's on the menu. Right. But do things last that long on your menu? No, never. So, do I, I guess, am I asking the question, like, when you're creating consistency in the process, not necessarily in the recipe? Got you. Right. You have to have the consistency in the process, not necessarily the recipe, because... We didn't change the menu seasonally. We changed the menu daily. Okay. When I say it changed daily, there were days when the entire menu changed, but we tried to not do that because that's hard. Interesting. So I want to get an, another, unless you were you know, compound on this, do you have something locked and loaded? I don't want to cut you short. Go ahead. Do you have, you said you had multiple examples of how your influence um, kind of helped uh, support the Uchi group, which is why you kind of rose to this director of culinary. Uh, what were some of these other examples? Well, when we decided to build Uchiko, um, or when it was decided that Uchiko was going to be built, um, we what was, was Uchiko when you when you're saying just building. Okay, this? so Uchi, so sorry, Uchi is uh is the original restaurant in the Uchi group. The next restaurant was Uchiko, and um, it was decided that Uchi was going to be built so that you know not only because of Uchi's success, um, but it was a place where we could grow our staff. Right, so we could get more staff and more talent, and we could move Paul from the chef de cuisine of Uchi to the executive chef of Uchiko. And so you created another restaurant to create opportunity for the people that you had that needed some place to go. Because if they didn't go up with you, they're going to go up with somebody else. Exactly, got you. And I, that was brilliant to me. Mm. And that came from Daryl and Tyson. Daryl is a principal, um, and that was amazing to me. And it, it, it that was another epiphany moment. I was like, wow, this is. This makes sense. If you're taking care of your staff, you're creating a better business. Mm-hmm. And taking care of your staff is creating is not just paying them well because you know what we weren't paid well at that time. Um, it wasn't just paying. It wasn't paying them well. It was creating opportunity for them where they could learn more. Mm-hmm. And you know that's again a difference between a job and a career, right? And when we get back to that, is like you know you can go to work every day and go home, yes. but if you have a, something where you're constantly learning and have opportunities to learn things that you would never learn at another restaurant, you're going to stay. Yes, man. I'm, lo- I'm loving this right now because I, there's um, this business model of the restaurant group, which I think is the ideal business model as far as the right way to do business because you are focusing on the, your people, the individual. You're creating opportunity. You're spreading out the hierarchy, right? And you're creating a community of professionals. And like you said, the, the key thing, you're not creating jobs. You're creating careers. Absolutely. And that's why I love this way of doing business. And I try to make more example of people like you because you mm-hmm. guys get it. Um, so any specifics we should know about how to do that right? Um. Yeah, um, a thousand. <laughs> um, one thing that's that's probably again getting back to the people because at the end of the day, what I've learned through groups like Uchi um, is the most important part of this business is your people and your staff. Uh, without your staff, you cannot create a product that people want. You cannot create an experience that people want. So if you don't have the right people that doing that and people that you trust doing that, because you as an owner a boss, whatever you want to say, can't do it all either. So if you don't have those right people, um, it's, it's impossible. So you have to be able to have a staff that you make, that you retain, not only retain, but you trust to make the right decisions in order to grow. And a big part of that is the culture that you keep, right? The culture that you create. And one thing I learned with Uchi, the thing that we needed to nail the most, because we can make good food, right? The thing we needed to nail the most was 
growing that culture from the magic of the little building that Uchi was, because this little house over in South Lamar, into a new building, which is a very different building. It's bigger. It's it's a little more sterile. It's in a different part of town. How do we take that culture, evolve it to grow into that building, and then sustain it? So how do you do that? The people, and it's and it's 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 letting them lead the way that they have learned to lead, right? So it's not going over there and regimenting and saying, okay, we have to do this, 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 and this in order to keep this culture. It's like, okay, Andy Erdman, you have helped grow the culture over here, Philip Spear, Paul Key. Now we're going to move over to this building and you're going to do it here the way that you did it here and just be yourself. And just, yeah. you know, the way I like to say this, I think is a very, an, an, another way to say it, which maybe absorbs better with certain people is you recreate yourself in other people mm-hmm. and that's when you know it's time to scale when Absolutely. you've imprinted other people that they have the same exact values culture uh le- standards of excellence and when you've gotten them to your level and they can do the same to the next wave of professionals that come up underneath like that's when you know it's time to grow when you need right, when you scale. yeah right Absolutely. When, yeah so I, I love that um and that's when we knew what we had to do with myself and with Paul because we would have we would have left mm-hmm. and done something different. Yeah, right. I, I want to say better, but it wasn't necessarily going to be better, but yeah. something different. Exactly. Um, but this was an opportunity for us to grow and not leave. And then we brought in a director of operations, and actually, he is another giant mentor to me. Is the guy that we ended up bringing in. Um, Who's as, this? His name is John Bedell. Okay. And uh, we brought him as a director of operations to help us scale because at that point. Um, it was already in the ownership's mind that they were going to probably grow beyond just Uchiko. Gotcha. So, and bringing him in, um, we were, you know, I was able to learn more systems of growth and put those into play. Um, everything from consistent, um, like we were talking about consistent recipes to, 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 to different standard operating procedures just in basic document forms and creating booklets that people can can follow and read and talk about operation manuals for the staff Mm -hmm. so that's when when he came on as the do this is the stuff that he took to bring you guys to the next level which i ate up because i love that i loved the organization so i'm surprised that you guys actually didn't have operation manuals up until that point no no way well, I mean, we were just getting the recipes done. That's true. We just finished the cook- <laughs> yeah. like we were just getting the recipes done. We were just getting consistent prep lists and checklists across the across the one kitchen, you know. So so to scale that into two restaurants and keep some consistency back and forth, you know, and that was basically my my job is you know Paul went over there as the as the executive chef and he was a creative force in there and I was still the pastry chef and, and creating, but I had hired staffs mm-hmm. and I was literally going back and forth from restaurant to restaurant multiple times a day checking that. So let's try to extract a nugget because you created a lot of opportunity for yourself because of your hustle, because of your initiative to add order, to not be, not, to not wait for it to happen, but to be the one spearheading these projects. And right. that's kind of how you created opportunities for yourself. I mean, yes. I kind of just summarize that, but anything you want to add to that and how you can create opportunity for yourself within a restaurant group. Learn everything you can. It's just taking everything from around you. I could have gone in there every day and been the best pastry chef that the world had ever seen and put my head down and created dessert after dessert after dessert after dessert. Um, And I did do some of that, and I did get recognized for it. But I also took every opportunity that I could to learn every facet of the business so that I could help make the place better. Mm -hmm. Everybody there wanted to make the place better, and that was an amazing thing. Yeah. Right. How do you make that culture? How do you get to that point where everyone gives a fuck? God, man, I, I, 
I wish I, I wish it was a, a, a like you said checking boxes. I wish it was a a, a black and white answer. Um, respect, mm-hmm. I think, is the very very first most important thing. Is you have to respect each other. You have to respect your peers. You have to respect your employers and employees, both up and down. You have to respect your product. You have to respect your building. You have to respect your tools. Is respect and and respect and opportunity to learn. We got to start transitioning to the other projects, the other lessons you've had in your life. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I'm tempted to stay here, but I want to move forward uh, to to get it all in. So it sounds like when you first took this job in 2005, uh, you you got on like the straight and narrow. You, you made some changes to be able to uh, have this opportunity. Uh, did the, the, the negative bad habits start creeping up slowly over time or were they always there in the background or, I mean, cause eventually you kind of, you, you ran into some issues, right? Yeah, no, no, it fell apart. Um, yeah, they were always, I mean, they, the, the, the demons always existed. I, I don't like the term demons, but it's, let's, let's just, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, I always had that, um, that need to, you know, it was the whole work hard, play hard mentality, mm-hmm. which we're, we're so, accustomed to living in this industry and you know it was I, I earned it I deserved it and once I had sort of made my uh, what I believed was my market Uchi I, I started falling started partying again you know um, me and a couple of the guys would uh, hide it at first you know I would go out with everyone and I would order a water but it was yeah. really it was really a vodka tonic and I don't know who I thought I was fooling <laughs> when I'm drinking like yeah. pint glasses of vodka, like I was clearly not, yeah. you know, the same person when I walked in. And so eventually it was just like, okay, cool. Well, you know, we all drink again. It's cool. Or I do. Um, and so I was really good at, again, another source of pride, which is silly at this point, but I and, and Paul were very good at, you know, staying up all night and going to work and killing it for, 18 hours. I we could not do that. I we don't know do how you guys did it. <laughs> and we, and we did it. It was a, like I said, it was a silly source of macho pride for us. Um, and, but you said you could do it, but eventually it did catch up to you. Right. Right. Well, I got in trouble. Yeah. You got, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that it was getting in trouble that kind of put you on this path of getting your shit together? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I was absolutely forced. Just dive into like, you got in trouble, like take it to like, where I mean, I got works. in trouble a lot. <laughs> I don't know too much of the story. I, know I mean, that- uh, you know, two months or not two months, six months into working at Uchi. I mean, I'd already had TW, two DWIs. Six months into working at Uchi, I'd gotten a third. So, you know, just a few months of being there, we kind of fell back in these habits. I got a third DWI. That was a felony. Mm-hmm. We tried to hide it. You know, the the guys, and I won't name them all by name, but the guys and I tried to hide it. But it was, you can't hide that. I had to go to jail. Yeah. Um, I had just started dating this this young woman, very young woman, um, who basically, she was a pastry chef at another restaurant. I ended up marrying her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a pastry chef at another restaurant. Um, she is the one who went and told Tyson that I was going to be in jail. So I'd already gotten this DWI. Some time had passed, and I had to do some jail time. And we still hadn't told Tyson. Now, everyone kind of knew something weird was going on, but we were focusing on the food every day. And so she went and was like, hey, Tyson, just so you know, like Phillip's in jail for the next 10 days. Um, And he's like, well, you're a pastry chef, right? And she's like, I am. And he goes, okay, cool. You need to come make desserts for 10 days if you want him to keep working here. And she did that, and she was fucking terrified. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, you know, that... Again, I came back out of that, and I wasn't drinking 
for a while, but then it, it all it all happened again. Anyways, fast forward several years, you know, an, another child, uh, multiple restaurants. Um, we were opening St. Philip at that time, and this I had two thousand fifteen. This is 2014. Okay, so 14. fast forward a lot of years. Okay, gotcha. We'd opened Uchi Co. successfully. We'd opened Uchi Houston successfully. We were working on Loro, which has now opened. And then we were working on a new concept called St. Philip. I'm Philip. Um, so that was a kind of bakery and pizza place. It was a one-off. Um, we were opening in the process of opening that. And it was very – it was hard. There's a lot going on. I was traveling from city to city and – we were also building – we were scouting and building Uchi Dallas and even scouting for Uchi Denver at that point. So there was a lot going on. Um, I had two kids at home, wife. She had her own career. Um, a lot. A whole, 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 whole lot. And then, But I still partied hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to, in October of 2014, right as um, we were opening St. Philip, I got a fourth DWI. Mm. And that's that's a big deal for DWIs. I don't know. Is this the the DWI that was publicized with the the video? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, I mean, where were you mentally at that point? I, mean, like, I got pulled over. I was p- p- passed out behind the wheel of the car. Yeah, <laughs> but like as far as like where you were uh, in your career, uh, like you got a, that's a big deal. Like you where said. was I in my? Career? I was opening a my namesake restaurant. I was high. As it could be, but at the yeah. same time, I obviously had some major things going on inside yeah. me, right? So I, I guess what I'm hoping to do is to um, – how you learn from this experience, where you are today because of the, the – did you make changes in your life? Are you are you still drinking or – Oh, so I went to jail. Okay. Pris- I mean, I went to jail after I got a fourth EWI. Um, you know, within – the minute I got out of jail, I went straight to a – Inpatient rehab, and it's the same at that at this time. I'm in communication with with Uchi and and everything that we're doing, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go straight to rehab, 30 day inpatient. You know, I was able to use my insurance and some money I had. I mean, I was a partner in the group at that yeah. point. You know, I had made a partnership not only in St. Philip but in the entire Uchi group. Yeah, right. So I'm 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 as high as can be exactly. professionally. You know, and it's funny. In retrospect, I remember times being like, I'm gonna fuck this up. And this is how I'm going to fuck it up. And I literally fucked it up the exact same way I said I was going to fuck it up. Um, within the three months after I, you know, it was in October 14, February of 2015 was my last day at Uchi uh, or with the high hospitality. Um, it was just, you know, I was, I had pretty much become, you know, Tyson was always going to be the main face, but I was, I was right hand man. I, right. I was the, that was yeah. the, that was the guy at the restaurant and, I had let everybody in that whole company, which at this point was 400 people, oh. down. What was that like to bear that load? The worst feeling you could ever only, feel I in your life. I mean, imagine. I'm a pleaser anyway. Mm. And, you know, to disappoint your entire world in one fucking stupid move is the worst feeling. Because it wasn't only them. It was my obviously my entire family, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I mean, my my daughter was a sophomore in high school. She was walking through the whole halls of her school and people are watching me on the, the phone. Yeah. You know, um, because it was highly publicized. So how did this affect your relationship with your business partners? Highly, highly publicized. Um, well, it became a thing of like, well, we can't really, how not we can't. It was a conversation of how do we move forward when you have lost the respect of everyone that you have built the respect for, mm. right? From. How, how do we do that? And I'm like, well, it's easy. We go to rehab. I come back and I do it this way and this way and this way. And, and, and we gave it a shot. 
but I came back and it was pretty clear that it was going, you know, as someone who helped build that company, like to go and take a backseat to everything that was going on was just a little bit too weird. And I eventually moved on. Um, I got a, a buyout settlement, whatever. Okay. Whatever you want to say. Um, they took good care of me. I, I, I still have great relationships How, with everyone. That was, that was my next question. Like, what are your relationships like with these people because of... Strong. That's good. Strong. Very strong. Um, I mean, Tyson and I have lunch every week. Um, I'm happy to hear that. Um, so one other thing I'm really curious about, you, you mentioned that you, uh, you saw it coming. Like you mm-hmm. saw you like you saw the path you were on, mm-hmm. um, and you. I mean, we none of us are perfect, right? Um, what was it that you think? Why didn't you do a self correct before something got too bad? Because that's not how I work. Okay. Because I I give it everything all the time. Yeah. Right. And everyone's. I mean, everyone who was close to me saw it coming. My yeah. wife saw it coming. My best friend saw it coming. My number two, at the time in the company, saw it coming, and he actually very much took advantage of it to propel himself when I left. <laughs> um, he, you know, everyone saw it coming. Yeah. Um, except the partners. They didn't. So, um, and actually it's not true. I remember uh, the, the company president coming to me and saying, Hey, the main owner, he's concerned. He said to me, Philip's going to do something to fuck this up. Mm-hmm. Um, which that like still to this day stings, you know? Anyway, so I went, I went and I, and I, yes, I made major life changes. Um, I changed everything. Let's I get was, into the positive. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Let, I was let's too, get there because yeah. I, I do want to make an example of you. Like, you know, you, you had this incredible career. You did so much right, and we need to be careful. I mean, and maybe like until things go bad, like we don't really know how bad it can be, right? Um, but I mean, hopefully that's why this podcast exists, so we can hear the stories, the influence of other people, and recognize that shit can happen to us. We aren't mm-hmm. invisible, and like no matter how on top of the world you feel like you are, right. so. Take me to the point where you start um, living intentionally to turn things around and how you got to kind of like how you're still on that path of yours. I mean, you look great. It's clearly that you lost a ton of weight. And Mm -hmm. and like, how have you turned your life around? Um, Real quick, you said invincible. I definitely thought I was invincible. Mm -hmm. I I thought I was an untouchable. I thought that I had made it to the point where it didn't matter. I would travel around the country doing events. I did all the events and I would act like a fucking asshole. Mm. Um, I was, it was, it, I truly did believe that. Do you think it was, was maybe an, an ego? Do you think your ego got the best of you because of the success you had? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Totally. So, where, so 100%. Like, but I want to paint that picture of where you are now and how you've learned yeah. from this and why you're better now because of it. Um, you know, I learned, I, it's, it's, it's as cliche as it sounds like I learned so much when I went to rehab. I learned, it was a great rehab and I learned about how and why, um, you know, the decisions you make, why you make them. And, and I, ch- and I changed my thinking on a lot of that. And okay. Dive into that for somebody who's listening to this, who's maybe like having the real conversation with themselves. Like, fuck, this sounds like me. Right. Like I'm fucking shit up. Like I have the world by the balls. I have love opportunity. I'm invincible. Well, maybe I'm not. You said you started learning these things in rehab behavioral things. What did you learn? I mean, I'd learned that, you know, you're responsible for every decision you make, right? And being just being present in in those things and, and not living, you know not living for the experiences that are happening around you, but living for yourself, right? Because there's always gonna be things happening around you. And if you get caught up in that, you're 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 gonna lose. Um so you need to start inside with yourself first and know and you know, you know. You know when you're making the right decisions. I, I think inherently most people do. There are some people who are a little bit mentally imbalanced who may not know. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, as human beings, we all know. And just work on that and being present with things and not, you know, not 
escaping through through unhealthy lifestyle decisions and that that might be drinking that might be smoking meth that might be eating mcdonald's for every meal you know and doing those things is you know you making those decisions is taking away from what you really need need to look at i mean what do you need to really look at just you you yourself mm-hmm. i mean what it's it's you need to become sort of one with with who you are and take a I'm trying so hard not to use AA words <laughs> because Are you not allowed to? I mean you can if it helps. I don't know. No, it's just it's 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 almost it's it's almost too like it's almost cliché for me. But okay. it's that like constant like moral inventory of how and why you do things. That's sorry. That's a big AA thing. It's like this constant searching of. Uh, I don't mind if you use AA examples. It's been proven to work. It's a right. it's a it's a great system. It turns so many people off. Yeah. I try not to to use AA speak because I feel like people who um who might be ready to make this move once they start hearing it, they get scared. Yeah, and I I think there's books out there about that kind of dive into why AA works. Um, well, I'm going to tell you why it works. Okay, for me. <laughs> because I, because it's for me and it's all about our own personal experiences. Um, it works for me because it's a, it worked for me and I'm not a big, I'm not a, I don't, I don't go to meetings every day. It's, it's not something that's, that really consumes my life. Um, but it works for me because there's a set of standards that you live your life by and you learn those standards and you do them. And those standards are, you know, it's the 12 steps. And I think the 12 steps apply if to every facet of your life, no matter what you do. Right. And that's basically just looking at yourself, that fearless searching, you know, searching fearless moral inventory of who you are, that keeping your own side of the street clean, like all these these things, keeping it simple, like all these mantras in in that program. They're they're so simple in in the, the ideology of them. Like it's so simple. Like wow, it's really just all about taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. It's and about if, creating new habits too, yeah. right? Isn't that a part of a new habit forming? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, but just that the simple principles of it is of 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 just taking care of yourself first. Yeah. I mean, you're you're running marathons now. I think uh-huh. I saw that. Like you're you're you running some marathons. Yeah, like, you, yeah. I mean, I was. Uh, you know, two hundred sixty five pounds. I was in rehab. My doctors there said I was. I had type 2 diabetes, sleep apnea, smoked a pack of cigarettes or more a day, ate fast food, every meal, drank, you know, not every meal, but drank uh, a gallon of Diet Coke a day. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, it was it was awful. It was gross. Um, I didn't think of it as gross at the time. I think of it as gross now. And yeah. so I, I started making changes mentally and physically in my life. And I knew if I did things to make myself feel better physically, I would feel better mentally and vice versa. And it's a, it's a it, cycle. And has know? it worked? It's working for you, right? It absolutely works That's for amazing. me. I'm, yeah, it absolutely works for me. Maybe, honestly, I would love to get you to back on the show if you're willing uh-huh. to talk us through that process of how you turn things around. Maybe taking examples from AA. Is it just AA? Yeah, AA, right? Yeah. Um, if you're willing, because I think yeah, that, that there's a lot in there, uh, but I want to move forward with yeah. the your story because there's because you are on a new traje- trajectory now. I'm, right, I'm, I am on a, a different trajectory. You know, I I, I left the group. Um, time out. Thank you for uh-huh. being honest and open and going in and getting vulnerable for us. I appreciate yeah. you. Uh, keep going. no, absolutely. It's 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 hard to talk about a lot. It's it's still incredibly disappointing. Four years later, I've been sober for four years. Um, 
being sober for four years doesn't change the decisions. I, by the way. Thank you. Doesn't change the decisions I've made in the past, and it doesn't change, you know, the train wreck that my life had became at that point. Um, you know, there's there's some other quotes by that John Wooden that I talked about that I think are super important. Like don't like don't like don't let yesterday take up too much of your time today. Mm. Right? I can dwell in that, and I can I can feel sorry for myself and I can play the victim and I can say the industry got the best of me and my demons took over and you know life at home was hard and I was overworked and and people didn't listen to me but like what the fuck like that what does that do yeah ultimately right? it was a result of your own actions absolutely so own it. absolutely yeah. and I don't scapegoat any of mm-hmm. that shit and I still love the industry and people mm-hmm. ask me all the time how do you get back into the industry you just fucking get back and do what you love to do but you you take that it, you you take care of yourself first, mm-hmm. physically, mentally, and in some in some cases, for some people, spiritually. Yeah. And um, so I do that, and I get back in the street because this is what I know how to do, and yeah. this is what I love to do, and these are the relationships that I've made. I met my wife through the industry. Mm-hmm. I have my daughter is in the industry. My best friends are in the industry, and this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm never going to change who I am because it's, I actually love doing it. So um, you go through rehab, you, you put yourself on the right path, and you have a vision to open uh, Bonami. Am I saying that correctly? Correct. Okay. You're saying that correctly. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I came and I did some consulting for a while. I, I, I made myself better. And then we opened Bonamy, me and a partner. Got you. Um, we did so. Um, it was a shared vision. Yeah. So this is um, your first time as an, uh, a partner, right? Or yeah. were you a partner? I was a, par- I, I, I was a partner in, in the Uchi group. But you're starting from scratch and you had never done right. that before. What, right. was, what was it like having to start from scratch? I mean, it was it was exciting and fun and, yeah. and hard and miserable, but <laughs> yeah. um, it was very more than anything. It was exciting. I was I was great. I was so grateful. I use the word grateful a lot because I'm grateful every fucking day, and I was so grateful to have an opportunity to do so because there were definitely times in that that period after after I was you know after I left the group and after um, you know I had had double DWI felonies and had to do jail time and had been highly, highly publicized nationally um, that I didn't think I was ever going to have any opportunities. So actually I was kind of curious about that, not to beat a dead horse, but Mm -hmm. you had this record um, and then you get investors, Mm -hmm. right? I'm assuming you, or did you use the capital from your buyout? Oh no no no! I, I got investors. I used the capital for my buyout to not go to jail for okay. for, for oh, ten man, years. That must, oh. <laughs> man, that must have been a big pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, so you get you get these investors. I mean, what are there are there concerns about you with your record? Yeah. Um, how did you overcome those things? I'm curious. I mean, I there's, mean, there's there's, there's, there's just, absolutely there was always concerns. Um, people ask me why my podcast isn't a half hour long sometimes, uh-huh. and I said this is why because you can't sit down with somebody and really understand them and pull back and learn from them without mm-hmm. going deep, and it takes time to get there. There are a lot of issues. And I mean, one of the main issues, and I'm, we're actually kind of dealing with this right now with my new partnership, um, is you know TABC so regulations, the, the Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission okay. um, regulations. You know, I, I can't own a liquor license uh, because um, of your past, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and because of that, you know, we have to find ways around that. And so those are things you have to figure out. And so it's always an issue somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you with need Bonamy. a partner so they can get the license under their name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, that's not the only reason I need a partner. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's it's. What are the other reasons? Well, it's the right way to do something. I mean, it's it's there. There are all sorts of reasons why uh, um, forming partnerships good. It's, it's but it's 
definitely a shared split responsibility. Different of lanes, doing. different skill sets, different, different skill sets, different ideas, different perspectives. Um, you know, there I, I could be the visionary on one thing while someone is a visionary on something else and vice versa. And we give our opinions and feedback and um, bounce stuff off each other. So real quick, bring it back to Bonamy. Um, you guys open to great acclaim. Yes. Uh, great. Great acclaim. Recognition from all over the place. Yes. Um, you're opening for about a year and a half, was it? Or two a little years? less than a year and a half. A little less than a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So we open from March to June. You, it looks like you're doing the food right, the service right. Mm-hmm. What didn't you do right in that situation where you had to close after a year and a half? There's, I mean, I, again, there's a laundry list of things that I think we could have done differently. But I think overall, um, the reason it didn't work is the identity that we had created or lack of where we did it. It just didn't take, you know, we, um, we went into a neighborhood that I think spent less time and money on eating out than we expected. And when they did, there was, it was pretty, it was more polar. It was more black and white. It was more like, we're going to go value driven or we're going to go special occasion. And there wasn't a lot of in between. And we created an in-between concept, something, someplace where I wanted to eat every day where maybe to some people they didn't quite get it. Okay. It wasn't an inaccessibility to the food because the food was really straightforward and really delicious. As you said, there was tons of critical acclaim and we did it right. You know, there's there's no question about I'm I'm proud of what we did. Um which is one of the reasons we closed when we did, is because there's no there's no point in going further and taking shortcuts and being like, Okay, cool, we we're going to do this, but we're going to use this product that's a dollar ninety nine a pound instead of four ninety nine a pound. We're going to use, you know, five people on the line instead of seven people on the line. We're going to use four servers instead of six servers and, and, and um, sacrifice the experience of the product for, for the dollars to remain open. Um, again, at the end, of, there are a bunch of little things that I think we could have done differently. So knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. what would you have done differently um, or would it would have been better market research or – no, um, because I, the, the market research was there. It, it wouldn't have been better market research. It, um, I think we relied a little bit too much on. I'm, you know, I'm this chef, and everyone's going to want to come in the door immediately. Okay, and so I think we could have spent a little bit more time on marketing. Uh, differently i think we could have spent a little more energy on branding who we were and creating an identity and really getting it out there i think we could have played some things a little less cool um you know we were an all black building with no sign okay uh we were on the bottom of uh mixed use we were bottom of the amley bottom of a mixed use place where you know there wasn't a lot of visibility um our our parking situation wasn't really known uh people drove by us all the time and you know, there's 47 restaurants on Burnett Road, and you miss ours, you go to another one. So you, you know, were there's kind a of focused t- on trying to be almost like hip and cool, uh, and where you should have just been like, here's our story, here's who we are, mm-hmm. and put more into the brand and, and communicating what you were. I think so. I think really creating that identity would have would have served us a little better. Okay. Um, but we did. We created some regulars, and we created some people who who really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I also think that we very much live in a time of the one and done. Where how do you feel about that? It's it's it hurts. 
<laughs> I agree with you. I think there's a lot of people that that open a restaurant with an ex- with an expectation to be maybe open for four years, and like right. that's the goal. If we mm-hmm. make it to four years and we can stay relevant for four years, that's the goal. And it, like, there's a, a rule of thumb that I've heard where people will freshen up every five years, and mm-hmm. that freshen up is a whole new concept, right? Just to stay relevant, to stay top of mind. Um, I don't I mean I get that business approach, but I don't know if I like it. I don't agree with it at all. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I think that you should create something that has staying power and mm. and really get that across. And and if you don't, then you should do something different. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean reconcept. I mean like literally shut the fucking doors and do something different. Um, I think you know everyone talks about restaurant saturation. The bubble's gonna bubble's gonna burst, especially in certain markets. And they really talk about it in the Austin market. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I mean, there's obviously some truth to it, but I feel like we live in a time where once you get your your perfect Instagram shot, you go to the next one and you go to the next opening. And because there are so many restaurants opening, maybe you don't return to that restaurant for one month, six months, one year, um, because there's a whole list of other shots you have to get. And I really believe that. I really believe that we're as a society and it's not just with restaurants and this thing like, okay, cool. I went to my show. I got the picture of Leon Bridges singing that song. Didn't really pay attention to much more. Posted on Instagram, what's next? I went into, I went and and to the Grand Canyon and I got my photo. Yeah, I didn't take it in yeah. the way I should have had. It didn't change my life, and so it like desensitizes us to what what the experiences and are. What hospitality really is, and just what the, not only hospitality but just in in life in general to what the experiences are. You don't take the experiences in the same way. You don't take the shows in the same way. I mean, I used to go to concerts and shows and they would be fucking life-changing. That doesn't happen anymore, I don't feel like. I don't feel like people are going and having these experiences um, that are changing their lives because they're more, and not everyone, right? But I just mean generally as a society because they're more concerned about the, the, you know, putting that experience out there for everyone to see that they had done it. Got it. I'm loving this conversation. It's hard to believe we're already at like an, over an hour and 15 minutes of recording time. Uh, we still got to bust out a speed round. But any other lessons, any other takeaways, any, any other areas in your career that you want to focus on real quick before moving to the speed round? I, and I would love to get you back in the future maybe to dissect yeah. some of these things. Absolutely. Uh, but take it. Anything you want to touch on before going to the speed round? Look, again, um, and I've said, I said this before, and I really want to put this across as the most important thing to me not only in the restaurant industry, but what I've learned just in life is like you have every interaction you have with someone is an opportunity to learn something. Mm -hmm. It may not always be what you want to learn, but it's always an opportunity to learn something. And I feel like we're in such a place in our society, in our lives right now, where we are not as open to learning those things as we used to be. And you're only going to get better at your career and at your life by learning from people around you, everyone has an experience to share. Everyone you hire, everyone you 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 work for, everyone you work with, all have experiences to share. And the minute you stop realizing that, is, is you become very st- stagnant and very mm-hmm. stale. And you have, you know, there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And you have a restaurant opening in the the winter of 2019. I think your daughter might have just walked in, or your wife. Or... Uh-huh. Well, the daughter's probably with the okay. wife. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what's the future look like? Uh, how are you planning on doing this this new concept differently? That you think from you know taking all the lessons you've learned to apply to this new opportunity? Uh, we are creating a place with identity. We are being 
intentional on what we're doing. We are, we are, man, we're really putting it out there. We're what spinning. is that identity that you want to have? Oh, that's to, that's TBD. Okay, <laughs> or that's to TBA. That's okay. to be announced. You okay. know, we're 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 really keeping what we're doing under wraps uh, because I feel like. Again, going back to that whole like our society is the one and done thing, mm-hmm. I feel like the, we create these expectations for people and they almost like feel those expectations and then dismiss them before they've even been in the fucking door. Yeah. Right? So we really want to keep quiet what we're doing. Uh, we're building a brand new building though in downtown Austin. I think that in itself is pretty exciting. What about with partnerships? Anything you're doing differently with partnerships uh, to create a better situation for yourself? Openness. Openness, honesty, trust, respect. I mean, it sounds so cliche and silly, but it's so important. If I can't talk to my partner and tell him really how I feel about decisions that are being made, whether or not it affects the outcome, um, then I'm not do I'm doing myself a disservice and the project a disservice. So it's really just speaking up when when necessary, and again, seeing his perspective too, or that that person's perspective too, because it's because they they're coming from somewhere. You know, you can't dismiss that mm. those ideas. Beautiful. I've loved this conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to EthicsSuites.com restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there if you listen to restaurant unstoppable i'm sure you've heard me say it before but i'll say it again there are two things that you need to let determine your growth the first thing that's people the second thing that's cash flow and we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because i'm working with cashflowtool.com the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business cashflowtool.com is simple powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and Enter promotional code UNSTOPPABLE at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, the, abel- the ability to adapt um, and evolve. Because if you, don't, you cannot adapt and evolve, uh, you, cannot get, you cannot grow. What is your biggest weakness? 
Um, my biggest weakness is always second guessing. Always second guessing. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? I look for a mutual respect. What is your biggest challenge today? Building that team. How are you dealing with that challenge? Um, due diligence. Share one code of conduct or behavior you would teach your team. It's like a core value. Um, always be open to learn new things. Share one uncommon standard of service the Uchi group or your past restaurants um, taught the team to go above and beyond service. Um, really the art of anticipation. Always knowing, always always looking for what your guest is looking for next and having it to them yeah. before they know. I really understand that because my background is in aviation. I was a commercial pilot and they always oh, cool. taught you be ahead of the airplane. Like don't be where the airplane is now. Be where the airplane's going and be prepared for where the airplane's going because you're moving. You can't pull over, you know, and like figure <laughs> right. it out. Like you got to be ready. You got to be ahead. And it's that same mentality with the staff. Like where are the, or the, the guests? Like where mm-hmm. are they going? Like being ahead of their needs, mm-hmm. right? And being able to guide, really got, kind of guide the whole experience by doing so. I love that one. Thank you. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? On Leadership by John Wooden. What is the biggest lesson you, you got from that book? You already quoted him a couple of times. So like, what was the biggest impact from that book? Um, teamwork. What's one thing you feel restaurant owners don't do well enough or often enough? Collaborate with their staff. Listen. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls uh, that has had a positive influence on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Google Calendars. Oh, sweet. And when did you start using those? How are you using it? I mean, obviously, the calendar, the schedule. Yourself, um, just not only Google Calendar, Google Docs, just having a living living documents that can always be added to and changed by by your staff or by whoever you give the access to and, and utilizing the calendars as well to make sure that those things are happening. And you're going to be opening in a few months. Um, have you settled on any technology as far as POS or online ordering or things like that that you're excited about? Yeah, absolutely. Like what? Um, we're going to, I'm going to be using toast for the first time. Okay. Um, which is sweeping the nation. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, I'm excited about some of the features they offer that make the experience for the guests a little more seamless. Like what? Like having one thing I'm really excited about is like, we're, we're doing a fine dining. Um, I hate the term fine dining, but we're, you know, we're doing a more upscale, um, concept. One thing that I'm really excited about is the handhelds with toast, not, you know, I don't want these handheld machines to impede your interaction with the guests, but I do like the fact at the end of the meal that you can just take the guest's card or form of payment and swipe it right there and be done. So there's there's less of a wait because I know that... The, the bottleneck at the, the POS, right? The, like it's not why? only the, the physical bottleneck at the POS on the staffing side, but the guest the guests experience... They, I, I hate waiting for my check to come. Yeah, and so it's something that just gets knocked out right there. Um, I know a lot of with toast, like you can, you can do maybe the credit card at the beginning of the meal, right? Yeah, and then you leave, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are doing that. Like you yep. don't wait for the check. Like Absolutely. we have a twenty percent gratuity. Mm-hmm. We swipe your card. You order twenty eight percent, man. What, where, where, where? Or what? No, I said twenty percent. I think. Okay. I'm sorry if it sounded like. But you know what I'm saying. Like you can just like you can remove that whole process of having to wait for the check. It is, um, and, and that and that's an awkward. It's always an awkward process at the end of the. It's I mean an awkward yeah. experience at the end of the meal, and you can totally eliminate that, giving uh, just making it the the whole experience more seamless. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Hmm. 
if, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. Three things you know to be true. What are those three things? Um, take care of yourself first. It's the most important thing. Always be open to new opportunities and the ability and um, just the ability and eagerness to learn from those around you, from experiences around you. And the third one is about experiences. Take in experiences, soak it in. Don't just don't just do something to to post it on Instagram. Um, take take every experience you have in because you may only get that experience one time. Beautiful. Take care of yourself first. Be open to new opportunities to learn and take in the experiences. Soak it up. I love it. Great stuff, Philip. This has been an incredible conversation. How do we wrap it up by calling somebody out? So who is one person that you admire and believe would be, be or make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Uh, well, you just said that you're, you already have on the books one of my <laughs> one of my oldest colleagues and friends. Um so I won't bring his name into it. Um, you know, I think it'd be really interesting and cool to to do someone like uh, I th- Sean Circle. I'm gonna call him out. Sean, where, what's what's his uh, restaurant? He has Parkside Projects. Okay, um, he's the first chef that I really felt mentored by. Um, he owns. Currently, five restaurants and a couple event spaces. He's opened and closed multiple concepts. He's in Austin. He's opened and closed multiple concepts. He has a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience. He also has a beautiful family that he's very, I mean, he's. He's he's got a great story. Sean, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, how can we follow you if we really appreciate this conversation? Maybe we're going through our own issues. We want to come to you for some advice. Uh, what's the best way to connect? Um, speaking of social media, uh, that's really the best way to reach out to me. I check all my messages and respond to all of them. And the... Your Instagram handle, I believe, is Philip Spear. Philip Spear. Philip with one L. Correct, with one L. And Spear, S-P-E-E-R. That's my Instagram, my Twitter, and my Facebook. All right, I'll have that link in the show notes. I believe this is episode 561. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 561. You'll find a summary of today's discussion, as well as the links to how to connect and the tools recommended in today's chat. Chef Philip Spear, man, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank thank you. Good times. (laughs) Cheers. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Philip Spear, thank you again for sharing your story and your knowledge and getting real vulnerable and open. And I love it when my guests get vulnerable and open and real with me and my listeners because that's where we grow the most. Not only, I think, is that where uh, my guests will grow uh, is when they get realistic about themselves, but also, I mean, that's where the magic is for us to learn from their mistakes, their their realities, and to take those lessons and apply them in our own life. And some of those lessons in today's conversation, uh, knocking on the back door of restaurants until you get the yes, right? You don't need a culinary degree to be successful in this industry. You need the right people in your corner to guide you, to mentor you, to give you those values. So go find them and become a part of their teams. Creating consistency in processes, right? If you create those consistencies in our process, we can create consistencies in the quality of our business and then growing 
when the timing is right and what does that look like when you have, like I say all the time, cash flow, but also when you have people that you've grown and mentored and groomed and developed and they are ready to go on to greater things, give them that greater thing, invest in their vision, give them growth. If, if you don't give it to them, somebody else will or they'll go out and find it on their own and create it on their own. So invest in these people and, and in the next generation of professionals. And then obviously, I think it's safe to say that we need to find balance in life. Uh, we need to have a good time, right? It, it's it's important that we have a good time, but we need to control that good time. We need to control our, uh, our use of certain substances so they don't take over our life. So everything that we've worked so hard for doesn't just go out the window. Uh, so really pay attention to that balance that you have between work and fun and, and uh substances and don't lose what you've worked so hard for. It's just not worth it. And then obviously, uh, if you have gone too far and you want to gain control of your life, if you take care of your health, uh, you can take care of your mental state and you can start moving in the right direction like Philip Spear has done. Like always, I have to remind you, please reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I'm also on Google Play, Spotify, and soon-to-be Pandora, I believe, so you can find me on those platforms as well. Uh, but the best way to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by spreading the word. Make sure this podcast, help me get this podcast on the radar of everybody and anybody you would know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. Thank you guys all so much. Until next time, peace out.